Welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Phillips. Today, we have got a great guest. I'm really excited about this. He is the co-host of Tiki and Tyranny on CBS Radio from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern uh, weekdays. And he has about 40 other jobs in the media, in sports media industry right now that we will get to. Uh, but it's Brandon Tierney. I'm really excited to have you, Brandon. Thanks for stepping on with us. Yeah, how you doing, Ryan? Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, it's great. Um, I, the first thing I like to do with these is kind of go way back and we'll talk about all the stuff you're doing now in a little bit, but I want to go way back because you're somebody who's had a lot of success in this industry and, and you've, you've sort of, you know, tracking your career, reading your bio for this, you've kind of moved up along the way consistently, kind of just moved up the ladder. And, um, I want to know though, going back to young Brandon, and, and I, my, my angle is that I think all, everyone who gets into sports media has to love sports. You don't get into sports media for the money or the fame. That may come, but you get into it because you have a passion for it. I want to know what ignited your passion. I mean, is there an event, a game, something you watched on TV, just something with your family? What made you love sports to where you just had to do this? I, I Listen, I can trace it back to a lot of different things. Uh, it's got to start with my old man. It's got to start with my dad. I mean, the... You know, the, for whatever reason, I had um, a pretty early passion for the history of sports. I mean, listen, a lot of kids grow up, they love playing ball, and, and obviously I was no different. Sure. But I always, I always asked a lot of questions, you know, Ryan? And, you know, if, if you're not lucky enough to have a dad that doesn't necessarily answer the questions – you know, maybe it doesn't stoke the flames and maybe they kind of dissolve or they dissipate. And, you know, my dad would, would always answer a question with a story and he would kind of create this timeline of, you know, players that he grew up with, which obviously would allow me and does allow me still for sure to historically connect the dots and, and have a great appreciation, a great affinity for what came before me. So that's probably, if I boil it down to the essence of, you know, how did I get here? Or maybe more directly, what uh, what inspired me to do this? It was twofold. It was just, I think it was just natural. Like I, I love playing and I, I, lo I loved playing, loved it. But I also loved to read and I also had a pretty curious mind and, and dad fed into that. So I think that's probably the combination right there. And and was there a certain age you remember like starting or was it just as long as you can remember sports were a huge part of it? Right. I got to tell you, I mean, I, I do. And it's funny, my little guy just turned five earlier this year. So I'm going through it now. And my, and my daughter's three. I remember I had to be, maybe I just turned four and like you have snapshots. It's, mm -hmm. it's hard sure. to have, you know, that, that vivid imagery from four years of age, but I do remember this snapshot. That's somewhat vivid. My sister and my mom went to the mall. And as soon as they left, like my dad, my dad rearranged the living room furniture, right? Because we had a small little backyard. I, I think it was even cold outside, whatever. And what does he do? He gets the wiffle ball bat. He gets a ball. I, I guess somehow I, I hit one. I, I really think I was about three and a half or four. And I broke something. And you know what? The, the reaction that, re that I remember was not anger or fear it was like man my little guy just did a line drive off whatever like some i think it was the hummel if you ever heard of those <laughs> things like that, that yeah. was like a ceramic um uh, or porcelain thing from germany that my mom had around the house so that was part of it <clears throat> that was like the first actual all right i'm playing ball with my pops in terms of you know different different images i remember this one my dad was still a detective I remember waiting anxiously for him to get home and he'd have every newspaper. We would get Newsday delivered, all right, from Brooklyn because coming in from, from Queens and Long sure. Island, we would get that. And he would come home with the news in the post. And, and I remember, you know, I remember when Bernard King ripped up his knee um, in the, in the 80, in 80, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 84. And I was still nine. And I just remember like, craving the newspaper so I could get an update on Bernard King, who was my first favorite Nick. So there was always, really, there was always this desire to read and, and the games, forget about it. I mean, yeah. once I started playing Little League, it was, you know, every Saturday, it was the whole routine. Go to the park, play the game, go get the cold cuts, come back, watch the game of the week with Joe Garishiola, Tony Kubek. And, and, and it wasn't, the funny thing, Ryan, 
it wasn't just limited to the Yankees or the Mets. It was always, you know, I, 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 my first Little League team was the Reds. In I guess that would have been about 1982, a uh, couple of years after the Big Red Machine. Sure. But, but you know, I kind of knew about Bench and Morgan and Rose and Perez, and I knew everybody around the horn because my dad took me back five, six, seven years and explained it. So those are, you know, and then you just, it just goes from there. It just morphs into this, um, this burning desire to always be in the middle of sports, whether it was playing it or conversing. It was just, it was in me. Did you know as a kid you wanted to do this as a career, or did no. that realization come later that you? No, were not as a kid. No, you know it's funny, Ryan. Not as a kid at all. I wanted to be a player. I mean, listen, right. I wanted. And you and, and just to clarify, you played four years at Marist, uh, fine yeah. academic institution, by the way. I Marist, remember. very good school. Somehow they let me in. <laughs> I always joke if I was going to Marist now, I'm not sure that they would have let me in, and I'm not sure I would have been good enough to play on the team because now they're pretty good. Uh, we yeah, you were right at the beginning of their their program as well, too, about a year in, right? You're doing some research. I watched, right. yeah, they, they launched, and they didn't transition. Usually a school, you know, might mess around with Division Two for a little bit and right. kind of work their way up there. They just launched a Division One program. So the first, and it's funny, we had good play. We had guys that could hit. We had guys, actually, we, we had a lot of good players, but we didn't have pitching. Mm-hmm. And you get you get to the Northeast and you start playing teams like, uh, certainly St. John's and, and like UConn program, very strong. and But even smaller, like St. Francis and uh, Wagner, they always had a guy or two that was pumping 90, that was, you know, high 80s, couple of a slide or a change. That was their, that was their race. And, you know, we just, we didn't have, we never had that guy. So we lose a lot of games, 11-8, 7-6, 12-10. But yeah, I wanted to be a player. And I always knew that, um, I, I had a, a, a somewhat natural writing style. Like when, when I would sit down, like I go back to my academic career, <laughs> which wasn't much, but I, I look back now <laughs> and I smile because the things that I was interested in, such as writing, came very effortlessly. Like I, I loved, a lot of my buddies, like it was book reports, they hated it. Like that was a chance for me to shine. When it was, let's do math, let's do science. I'm like, oh, please don't call on me. But when it had anything with words, it was a natural ability to communicate. I'm not trying to overstate it, but it felt natural sure. to me, okay? So as I got older, you know, obviously, you know, first grade, fit, oh, I'm going to play for the Yankees, going to play for the Yankees. Went to a pretty good old boys high school, academically, challenged, Xavier, Jesuit. Good baseball program when I was there. Very good. We won a lot of games, won a couple of divisions, but we were good. And then I go, go to college, and when you start – you know, elevating as a player, if you're honest with yourself, you know, not that you even say it out loud, Ryan, because that's almost defeating. Sure. Yeah. The, the chase, acknowledging the, that you're not good enough, but you, you know, you know, innately, I mean, am I fast enough? Am I good enough? Because when you're on the field with guys who are getting drafted as I was from high school and, and even below that, you know that there's a little separation, that they're just different, that they're you feel just, the ceiling coming down on you a little bit. You feel it. So my point is, is that I always knew while deep in my mind and my heart, I knew that, you know, Major League Baseball certainly wasn't an option, but I always knew that this ability to write, communicate, you know, tell the story, hopefully in a pretty interesting way, um, decent presence, um, pretty decent personality, I, I would hope that I can somehow fuse the, this, these skills that I have and this, this sporting passion to, you know, kind of, you know, I guess form one direct path to chase. And, and I did, you know, that's what I did. And funny thing, I would come home from Marist and this was in the mid nineties. So it was, is obviously very different. No phones clearly, but I would come home and you know, go out with, go out with my buddies that, that maybe weren't away at school, go to the bar, hang out. And I'd come back. What was waiting for me on my bed? Headphones. My mom knew I wanted to fall asleep listening to sports radio. So I always fell asleep to the radio and I just knew that it, was not going to be easy. Um, I didn't know what path I would take, but I knew that I was chasing and I was hunting. I knew it. Now, now it, did that realization come to you in college that you that that's the path you wanted? Oh yeah, to take? in college for sure. By then, I, I was well aware. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I looked because you were a journalism and communications major, right? I was. There, yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I was. I never really <clears throat> had much interest in, you know, pursuing, um, you know. The, political journalism like it just there's certain things right. it's funny because i watch 
every network, every night, and not just because of the virus. I've become a, a pretty, a, a pretty, what's the word? Uh, just a pretty uh, aggressive and energetic inhaler of politics as I've gotten older. But at that point, nah, I mean, I wasn't really particularly moved by it. It was, it was sports, and yeah, and I had some teachers who who helped cultivate that, who who fostered that, and you know, funny thing, I never really even thought about TV. You got to remember, well, I'm graduating in '96, so at that point, you've got you've got Sports Center, obviously, you've got a few local, regional networks like MSG, but there's none of these debate shows like First Take's not there, or a local show I used to do, The Wheelhouse, back in the day, that's not there. Yeah. So I, I really just figured it would be radio and writing, and I had a couple of teachers late in my tenure at Maris that that said, what "About TV, you know, you want to you want to start looking into that as well." So that planted a seed. It was um, it was it was a direction without a roadmap, man. I look back, Ryan, right, and it's almost scary to think like th this. This unnerves me. I don't know if I can communicate this effectively, but um, I'm certainly happy where I'm at. I'm I'm proud of where I'm at. I'm still chasing. I'd like to think I'm I'm in my 40s. I'm still climbing, but I realize I've attained probably more than I even thought I would. I mean, if I'm if I'm going to be completely frank, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks about. You know, I I didn't think about winning an Emmy. I didn't think about yeah. hosting a show on the Discovery. I never thought about those those outlets. But when I look now, like where I am now, if you told me back then that this would have been the accomplishment, this would have been the ceiling. Quite frankly, I, I probably would have signed on for it because you you just you don't know. It's it's hard. It, listen, I, I always tell young students, hey, how do I do what you do? <sighs> you know, <and> then, <laughs> it's you so know, hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. right? You inhale and you certainly want to encourage. Uh, I'm a firm believer, staunch believer in passing along whatever uh, experience I might have. Because in my mind, eventually, if you're good enough one day to take my job and, and there's going to be somebody that does that, game on. Come chase it. Let's go. You're not taking it now. Um, that's the way I view it. I'm very territorial and very protective. But I'm also very aware, much like an aging veteran in a clubhouse in baseball, kid coming up from double A, getting a few at-bats, show them the ropes. So to me, there is a responsibility, and it, it's kind of juggling, okay, protecting what I have, being being aware and being just being a good guy, just doing the right yeah. thing with young kids. But when they ask me that, Ryan, I say, you know, there's there's no way to properly navigate it because you want to be a doctor, take these steps. You want to be a lawyer, take these steps. Conventional steps, not easy steps, but clearly defined conventional steps. You want to be a broadcaster, you want to be a, a, an actor. Good luck. A yeah. little bit of a different path. Well, and there's a lot of luck involved in just finding the right spot to flourish oh, yeah. and, and all that. I mean, everybody I talk to in this industry is like, oh, that, that's had successes. Oh, I got this job, had the right program director, had this, had that, and it, it exploded. Or, no. you know, I had 10 missteps along the way and found the right one. I mean, it's just, you're right. You kind of find your own path to get up the stream. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about your first job. I mean, what was that like? And, and what, what was it? And what was it like? And, and how do you look back on that now with where you are at this point? I look back on it so fondly. It's funny. I just found, is, is, it, is it in one of these desk drawers? I may, I may have tucked it back. I just found the, the letter from when I was hired in 1999. Um, I loved it, man. You and know, where I was it? It was, it was Allentown. Allentown. Yep. The call letters WTKZ 1320 Sports. I had no idea what I was doing. Now, you got to remember, this, this is one of the things that was a bit of a disadvantage to me. While playing ball, you know, maybe open, not maybe, certainly opened up a, a, a competitive avenue that allows me to tap into doing my job now. Like, I'll give you an example. I had Tommy John surgery my senior year in college. So when, you know, when guys go through that, you know, I've, I've got the 80 scar and the rehab and, and the, the experience to know, all right, this is what it's going to entail. So <clears throat> that, that helps me for sure. But in terms of being ready as a broadcaster, I have no problem saying I was, I was lagging behind because, you know, when you're playing a Division I sport, you're not, you're not doing internships. You're immersed in school. You're immersed in a 58-game schedule. And you're just trying to hang on for dear life. And, and whatever social aspect you have, incorporate that as well. So when I graduated, I didn't really know. I don't want to say I didn't know much because that, that sounds ridiculous. But in terms of permeating the business, 
I knew what I read in the textbooks and all that, but like applying. So different than the actual field though. I mean, of course, man, I had no idea how to practically apply this stuff. So, you know, it took me a little while to, 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 to kind of get into that space. And I, I was tending bar. I was working at Fidelity in the IRA department. I was an intern, a postgraduate internship uh, at WFAN in New York. It was always they just trying to piece something together and get in the room with the right people. So the Allentown job, this is a true story. I'm still living at home. I have no money, so obviously I'm home. And I'm in the basement, and I find a website. This is 1990. Well, at this point, it's, it's late 98. And I find a website. It's got every sports radio station in the country, A to Z. And I send them a letter from, I mean, Arizona, Alabama. Just keep going. You, mm-hmm. Maine. Oh, just keep going down. Boom, 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 boom. North Carolina, the Virginias, everywhere, in every state. Montana. I'd go anywhere. I got about... <clears throat> Three to four rejection letters back, nobody else even responded. And the funny thing, Ryan, is that the rejection letters galvanized me because the call letters seemed, it is going to sound crazy, but it made it seem like more real, if you will, yeah. more, more tangible. I'm like, wow, look at those. Like, it, it just stoked my flames even more. Like, I've got to get some, I've got to. So somehow, by the grace of the broadcasting gods, because I had no business getting this job, quite frankly. Allentown, Pennsylvania, WTKZ. They said, hey, we heard your tape. Meanwhile, I made up a tape that it was not even, I I don't want to say I lied, but I, yeah, I basically, I made this whole thing up. I don't know how else to frame it because that's another story that I don't have time for. I (laughs) I mean, you know what? I'll I'll tell you the story in about 40 seconds. I graduate Marist, right? I'm interning at WFAN. I meet a guy who's driving the WFAN fan bus. So I'm making a few bucks doing that. We're like dropping out swag at the Jets and the Giants games sure. and all that stuff, right? So he says, listen, I, I run a radio station at a junior college in Long Island. I go, junior college? I already have my four-year degree. What do you want to do at junior college? He goes, just swing by, hop on the air, and, you know, you have a little fun. Learn how to do the show, structure it, format it. I said, you know what? Said, yeah, sure, I'll come by. So from being in the basement, of a junior college that I wasn't even a student at, which by the way, I wind up getting a letter from the school saying, we have discovered, as I paraphrase, that you know, you're participating in the student radio station, that is not allowed, uh, you're not a student. So I said, oof, and they said, so you either you know, take some credit- Enroll, in- yeah. I'm not paying for this. I wound up getting a bill somehow, like 800, I rip it up, I never went back. But I did like 30 shows, so I had a demo tape that's what got me the job in Allentown. True story. So I go to Allentown, and they put me up in the uh, in the hotel. And I never forget, uh, I was you know, 24, whatever it was, and I wasn't meeting anybody. I was going to meet my potential partner that night, Tom Fallon. Great dude, still in the business. Great mm-hmm. guy. Uh, went to Penn State, and I remember Gonzaga was just starting to make their run. Yep. So I was in a little Ramada. They had a little bar. I went. And I got a vodka tonic. I'm reading the paper about, you know, Gonzaga, I think it was Casey Cavalry, that crew, right? When they just started getting going. And Tom comes to pick me up, and the thought was, well, listen, take him out for a few drinks. If you guys hit it off, you know, he's the guy. We like the way he sounds, but I want to make sure they're giving him power, basically. We go out, we're doing snake bite shots. He's, uh, He's a devout Yankee fan like me. We hit it off. Great dude. Long story short, they hired me. And they hired me to do uh, to co-host the morning show. Now there was one salesperson, Ryan. One. It was a little family-owned radio station, locally owned, right? Uh, Holt, H-O-L-T Media, Holt Media. And I'm on the air for about seven or eight months. No idea what the hell I'm doing. I'm also the promotions director. Uh, you know, the only thing that I'm at least somewhat decent at, quite frankly, is giving opinions. Everything else about the business, I'm lost. Like this is a true story. We only had one phone line. So Tom would be running the board, right? If he, and he's going to watch, he's going to, these memories are going to come flooding back. <laughs> he's running the, Ryan, he's running the board. I'm in the small studio. So we have this glass partition. Sure. There's a little light that goes on. So when the one person calls, right, I've got to take, I've got to like deftly excuse myself from the conversation without saying, Hey, I've got to pick up the phone, take right. off my headsets. 1320 Sports Town. what's your name? Uh, Joe in uh, Bethlehem. All right, Joe, hang on a second. Pat's Joe through the line somehow. I come back, rejoin the conversation. Joe's on the line. And then once we dump him, we got to hang up. I've got to keep going through the process. So it's crazy. I'm doing four hours a day. 
I get my first credentials. I go to Lehigh University, which isn't far from where the station was, where Andy Reid's first season, Donovan McNabb just got drafted, AI's playing for the Sixers. So now I'm immersing myself in the local sports scene. I'm learning how to do a show, the mechanic. I was never afraid to, to tell you what was on my mind, obviously. I mean, that, that's just, that's who I am, and that's, that's always how it's going to be. But what I had to learn, otherwise I just wasn't going to make it, was how to nurture a conversation, transition to calls, you know, have salient thoughts. No, not, not just empty the tank the first segment and then be on zero the rest of the show. They're, right. They're, you know, pace a show out. And- yeah. Conducting interviews, listening. Well, cause one of the first things you do when you interview people, when you're young, you're so intent on, I've got to ask this question. I've got to ask this, I've got to ask this question that you're not listening. And when you're not listening, the chance for a real money answer on the, on the, on the kickback for me is lost. So it was, um, it was about a seven or eight month. Yeah. Seven or eight months. We get off the air one day. And they called us into the studio. They said, hey, listen, guys, we just got sold for, for uh, $2 million. And they're, going, they're converting the station to Spanish salsa. You guys are out right, of work. Right in your career paths. It's salsa, right? <laughs> Dude, yeah, right? I thought my career was over. I'll never, I thought my career was over. Tom comes over to my apartment. We bang back maybe a case of yingling. I mean, we, we, we crushed it, right? And, but the next morning... I woke up and I'm right back on the websites, right? And there will, it may have been Rick Scott's, one of the websites that posted jobs. There's an opening for an update anchor, part-time host in, at Sports Fan Radio Network, which is a national network, which mm-hmm. is obviously no longer around, but was in Las Vegas. And as I accelerate the story, I'm like, you know what? I'm going for it. And I'll never forget. I'm in my apartment. It was like, you know what? It was two days before Thanksgiving at this point, okay? And and I remember saying, all right, I'm going back to Brooklyn. And do, do do I take care of this now? Or do I just go to Brooklyn and attack it when I come back in a few days? No, you're getting this out now. And because I got it out then, and, you know, the conversations that ensued and the tape and everything else had to sync up. But because I was proactive, the timing was part of the reason why I got that job. In, 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 in Las Vegas at a national network, which quite frankly, again, I probably wasn't fully prepared and equipped to be on. Scott Farrell, um, the sports babe, mm-hmm. the fabulous sports babe, Jim Rome. I mean, I'm, I'm getting into very quickly a level where, you know, you've, you've got to, you, you better be ready. You better be ready. And it was awesome. So I drive, I get in my car, I get the job. I drive from Brooklyn. I drive from Brooklyn to Las Vegas. When they offered me the job, they said, we love you, man. We're not, we, we want you. We want you to be part of this team. We really like you. Right. But you got to be here. And I think it was four days, which was a week before Christmas. I said, I'm there. We held Christmas at my mom and dad's house, December 18th, full Christmas morning, December 19th, Christmas Eve, the fish, the Italian style the night before. I get in my car, I drive across the country, I go to Las Vegas. And the message there is to the kids, you asked me before, you want it, that's what you do. Yeah. Those are the things you do. Otherwise, you're just not meant to be in this business because nothing's handed to you, right? No, certainly not. And, and you've had sort of a classic radio career as, I've, as I've, I've done a little bit of local here in San Diego and gotten to know some of the, the bigger hosts locally. And, and, and a classic radio career is you're going to move around. And you've yes. been to Detroit, you've done New York, you've done San Francisco, you've, you've bounced around. What was it like when you finally came back to New York? From You were out in San Francisco, I believe, and came to New York. No, no, I was in Detroit. Oh, you were in Detroit and came back to New York. Okay, I, I couldn't get the, the years there. So yeah. when you finally got to come back home to New York, what, did that, what was that like for you? I mean, I know you're, you're a Brooklyn guy, so coming I had back te- to New I had tears in my eyes. I had tears in my eyes. I mean, that's what it meant to me. I had tears in my eyes. I, I'll never forget... Uh, calling my parents and you know actually did a little bit of a backstory there so I'm in Detroit and so it's Allentown it's Las Vegas and now it's Detroit and at that point Detroit was still a top 10 market and I get there and this is another example of saying screw it I'm doing whatever whatever it takes to get there whatever's required I'm doing it the network in Las Vegas they yanked the court now that's gone so I've been, a t- not, you know, not just me, the whole thing is gone. <laughs> so 
I'm like, all right. I mean, do you hang out in Vegas and gamble the $300 you have in your bank account because you're piss broke or, or do you get out of here and remain pro? And to me, there was no other option. Right. Keep moving, keep moving. And um, this one I definitely found on Rick Scott's website, Detroit. I think it was a weekend host, Saturday and Sunday, three or four hours each day. I said, wow, Detroit. All right, man, that's it's a big step here. Greg Henson, guy that I love to this day, uh, who I'm still friends with, will always be friends with, gave me a big break, believed in my talent, trusted in my talent. And he said, listen, he said, they were, they were owned by Clear Channel. He said that there's going to be some things in a couple of months that are going to really change the fabric of this station. I can't tell you what they are. You either trust me or you don't. I said, I trust you, man. I get in my car. I drive from Las Vegas to Detroit. And I'm in, a, I'm in a hotel for about a month or so. Now, part of the stipulation was, because I, I mean, you're not going to be able to survive rent on doing a Saturday and Sunday show. Sure. Making $200 Saturday, $200 Sunday, and, and that's all I have. I'm actually, it's a true story. At that point, I wasn't working during the week. I'm bringing mail to the other owned and operated stations at Clear Channel. And I'm driving around Detroit, whether it's the R&B, whether it's the Country Western, whether it's the the news station, that's my job. And you know what? It sucked. I, I hated it. Well, it's not like you knew the city either. So you're driving around having to drop stuff off. I mean, no I idea where I'm going. No yeah. GPS. No GPS, yeah. by the way. Nope. And, and I remember it ends. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing this and that, that gave me a few extra bucks. It gave me a sense of the city a little bit, you know, based on the process of elimination. Sure. Like, where's, where's my 75 again? Where is it? Okay. Here it is. Uh, I think I'm going the right way. And long story short, I walk in one day on a Friday and Greg says, come to my office. I go in, he goes, remember I, I remember I told you before you came out that uh, things would change pretty dramatically. I said, yeah. He said, today's the day. Uh, and it's kind of sad because I, I look back now and I didn't, I don't know that I viewed it through this prism because I was so young and so determined to get where I want to get, but a lot of people lost their jobs that day and they called it, um, black Friday, bloody Friday, pardon me, bloody Friday. And I remember walking out and as I was, when I was walking in, one of the guys who used to do the shows, he was the night host seven to 10, I think, uh, Bauer, good dude, good dude. Kind of like a Howard Stern type of talent, a little mm -hmm. less sports, good talented guy. He says, yo, he says, um, Congratulations. I, he said, I think you're going to actually, you're going to benefit from this. I said, well, I said, thank you, man. I didn't know he was just fired. So I walk in, Greg calls me and he says, you got your full-time job. Now I think I'm doing seven to 10 shows. I think I'm doing it for Bauer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, he says, you're doing middays and you're doing them solo. Wow. So now I'm going from this little teeny tiny station in Allentown to a national network in Vegas where I'm still kind of pretending that I know what I'm doing <clears throat> to hosting middays in a top 10 market. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, if you change who you are, he goes, <clears throat> he drops an F-bomb. He goes, I'm going to bleep and I'm going to bleep and bang you out of the city so quick. I brought you here for a reason. They're going to hate you at first. I go, geez, holy shit. What a, what a scout report this is. huh? <laughs> Thanks yeah. buddy. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks for the, uh, <clears throat> for the warm thoughts. But you know what happened? Detroit's a lot like Brooklyn. It's got grit. A lot like New York. It's tough. And I just, I carved out a niche with the Pistons. I became pretty tight with Rick Carlisle. I'm a big basketball guy. So I'm going to the Palace every game. Rick's calling in my show on the way to practice. And fans, you know, slowly say, wow, this, this guy's embracing the city. And I didn't look at Detroit as, well, let me, I just want to get out of here and get to New York. Like, I, I was starting to look at condos. Like, I was thinking about maybe buying something there. I was rented at that point. And what happened was I didn't have a contract. Greg got fired. Greg went to the station across the street and they thought he was going to bring me there. So they said, out of nowhere, they tried to just you know, thrust this contract on me and my ratings were good. And I, and, and I said, no, I, you know, I didn't have an agent. I'm like, I can't sign this guys. I was very respectful. I'll never forget. I'm in the room with uh, Dan Patrick's brother, Dan Patrick's mm -hmm. brother. Uh, Dan Patrick's last name is Pugh. So I believe Dave Pugh was the market manager for Detroit. Uh, my new program director, another heavy hitter, and me. I'm 20-something. I have no agent. And they're trying to kind of corner me into this. Lock you in, yeah. I said, um, you know, I can't sign this. They said, well, we want to give you a couple of days to think about this. And I said, just to clarify, guys, because then they said something else. I said, if I don't sign this, um, am I fired? 
And they said, well, I certainly don't want to position it that way, but you know, we're going to need this done or, or you can't go back on the air. I walked out. This is a true story, man. Hand to God. Walked out, went to my desk, shook everybody's hand, thanked them for the opportunity. Uh, took down, I had a lot of 9-11 things uh, on my mm -hmm. desk, 9-11 pictures on my desk, the towers. I took them down, boxed everything up, went back to my apartment, never worked another shift in Detroit. And during that month period is when I saw an opening for ESPN New York. So that's, I had to tie it together for you. And, you know, that was an arduous process. There were like 40 or 50 people who were going for the job. And I just remember. Yeah, obviously New York ESPN radio, that's going to be competition like crazy for that spot. Oh, Ryan, it was, it was pretty fierce. And I remember they just kept cutting it down. Hey, you're down to 20. We're down to 15. We're down to 10. We're down to five. And, you know, uh, I got the job. And I remember um, they flew me in for an interview. I was among the final five. And, again, started doing Saturday and Sunday shows, doing updates during the week. I wasn't an update guy, but it was a means to get in the flow. And then I start working with Stephen A. And th things start taking off from TV and the Knicks, et cetera. But when I got that call, you know, it, it, and tell mom and dad, hey, I'm coming back. I'm going to be on New York radio. Like I said, I had tears in my eyes. It was, it was fantastic. I can imagine. So at some point, you're going to have to come back on, and we're going to go track the rest of your career too. Sure. But let's, sure. let's, let's jump forward. How does Tiki and Tierney come about? Tiki and Tierney comes about. Now, okay, so a lot of people might not know this. When, when Mad Dog left WFAN, um, I don't, Mike's never admitted this and he might, I mean, if he was asked, but whatever, I met with Francesa at a diner in Queens. Okay. With Mark Chernoff, who was my boss now and one of the great fixtures in our medium, great guy, great, great programmer. Love the guy and Francesa. And I was still 1050 and it was, it was an under the radar. It was with ESPN, very under the radar meeting. Like they didn't have any respect for what we were doing with ESPN, but for them to bring me in like that to me was a sign. They like, they like when I'm on, they, they kind of dig what's coming out of the speakers. So I don't know if it was, I'm not going to be so brazen to say it was a 50, 50 partnership with Mike. I don't think it ever would be, but they thought, Hey, we mad dogs gone. We need to bring somebody in. And I know that they spoke, or I think they spoke to, you know, two or three other people. Uh, I was definitely one of them. And I never put that out there because it really doesn't do much for me. Um, it's never been in the paper. A lot of the other names were in the papers. I, I know that that meeting transpired. And the reason I say that is because back then, before now it's Endercom, that was CBS. Okay. Right. So when I go uh, 11 years, uh, pardon me, nine years at ESPN, I wound up going to San Francisco to do afternoon drive, which was great. And I will get into that some other point, but it was a nice I just got married. It was a nice change. I think I was kind of at that point done with ESPN. I think it was time. I think I wanted to move on, and I think they might have wanted to move on as well. Sure. It was a great break, prime spot, launching FM Sports Station in San Francisco. Loved it. While I'm there, I'll never forget, I'm actually in the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum getting ready to do it, uh, my, my show from outside. Yankees are coming in to play the A's. And, you know, when the big teams would come in, we'd do our afternoon show from out there. And <clears throat> my agent calls me, says, listen, he goes, they're starting to conceptualize this, uh, this new network for CBS Sports Radio, which would be like ESPN Radio. It would be coast to coast, nationwide, 140, 150 affiliates, and they are targeting you. They, they definitely want you to be a big piece of the puzzle. So I said, cool. At that point, I think I was ready to go. Uh, I, I really liked San Francisco. but How long I, were you there? Oh, about a, not quite two years, year and a half-ish, something like that. I just didn't, you know, we had tried to get the Warriors a couple times. We missed. I, K and BR, I didn't know, I didn't know how sustainable that was. I wasn't sure. They've actually done pretty well since. They've gotten the Warriors since. But at that point, I just, no, national opportunity, that I'm ready for this year. Sure. So the reason I brought up the meeting with Mike is because, again, Chris Olivero, Mark Short, those guys knew me, and they were the ones spearheading Eric Spitz this new CBS network. So how did Tiki and Tierney come about? It wasn't Tiki and Tierney just, it was Tiki, myself, and Dana Jacobson. And we're doing mornings. So I was, I'm not a, listen, I'm, I'm not a morning, I, I, I'm not a morning talent. I mean, to, to do, I don't mean a morning person, that's one thing. But morning talents are, you know, a little, just a little different, like bits and, you know, I, I'd like to think that 
I like to think I'm somewhat naturally funny, but I'm not going to get on the air and do these programmed or, or, or pre-planned bits. That's just not my style. It never has been. I want to open up the mic. I want to let it rip. I want to debate. I want to tell you what I think. That's what drives me. That's what I think, quite frankly, I'm best at. So I don't know if I was in the right time slot, but I was definitely with the right network. Um, after a little while, they, you know, three voices was a little bit too much. Nothing to do with Dana, who I think is, mm -hmm. I know you know her work, immensely gifted and a, and a really sweet person, immensely gifted. I think she's great on TV. But the show didn't feel right, all right? And I think they sensed that as well. So eventually it was just myself and Tiki, and then when Gottlieb left to go to Fox, uh, Tiki and I were still in the mornings, and then they said, okay, Doug's gone, boom, let's move Tiki and Tierney to the afternoon. We'll, we'll work in the, the, the TV component. And that's how it started. Now, a little backstory. Tiki and I have had the same agent for a while. So there was always way before this union of Tiki and Tierney. So there was always that aspect. And when I came in to, I flew in from San Francisco and I did a test with, uh, with Tiki and it just sounded right. I met him. I had met him a bunch of times before. It just felt good. It felt natural. It wasn't forced. It wasn't contrived. It was an easy conversation, you know? Um, so that's, that's the origin of, of how we got together. That's the start right there. So you guys have known each other for a while. So it makes it a little easier when you're paired with somebody, I think. Yeah. And again, when I say bit. no, I mean, he's a star for the giants. Right. It's not like going out to dinner. He's in this world that I'm doing my thing daily. It is, but, but familiarity for sure. So there's, um, there was always that. And you know, Ryan, that's important because one of the things about doing a radio show you got to trust your partner, especially when you're just starting um, a new show. Yeah. Because one of the tendencies, and this is human nature, you do radio, this is human nature. You're in the same room, there's two microphones, but at your core, you want to stand out. You want to, you, you're not there to be the second best of the two, you're there to be the best. Now, ideally, ideally, in striving to be the best, that elevates the entire show. And it's cohesive and it's solid and it works. Uh, a lot of times it doesn't. But I knew with Teak, and he knew with me, that you know I could go into the Coughlin weeds. I can go into the Eli weeds. And I did. And I do. And he knows I'm not trying to make him look bad. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for context. I'm looking for perspective from him that maybe the average fan never took the time to learn about. So you have to sure. have that trust. And Teak and I certainly have. He's such an easy guy to work with. He's a great guy. He really is. How how has the pandemic that that we're all facing right now changed the way you work or or changed the show at all uh, with you know limited sports and and obviously having to work from home and things like that has that changed the show at all or do you think you guys are still pretty much doing the same thing just from a different location? I'm very proud of what we put out. It's a, listen, it's a challenge for everybody. There's no doubt. The challenge it's, it's a little different. Like my normal days back in the day when I was actually going into the studio. You know, I'd get in my car by about noon and I'd have my morning routine. Kids would go to preschool, maybe go to the gym, maybe hit golf balls, certainly prep for the show. And you kind of, you know, you're just on this, this routine. Enjoy the drive in about 35, 40 minutes, you know, put the sunroof down, kind of get my head in the space. It's got to be to, to entertain, to perform, um, you know, listen to the news, listen to some of the shows, bounce around, framework the show, get in see the guys in the studio. It's just, there's just an energy that, that, that you can't replicate uh, when you're not in studio. So that's been a little bit of a challenge, but I got to tell you, um, you know, outside of a couple of times, my kids actually walking in on this and we're on TV. So it's funny. They come in, they don't, you know, they know daddy's working, but they think, they think the show's over and it's not, you see them on TV. It's all good. I think what's happened is that, you know, it's given us a chance. First of all, there's been a lot of sports content, whether it yes. was um, the NFL draft, whether it, you know, there, there's been some items, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Aaron Rodgers' future with the, with the Packers when he takes Jordan Love. That's a conversation you can stroll out for a couple days and then repackage and then file and, and funnel in different directions. Tom Brady, huge story. Obviously, um, yeah. The NBA, and, you know, there's, you know, we, we get great guests, so they've given us great content. But what we do, and you have to do this, otherwise you just, you're not humanizing the show. You got to talk about, you know, what's, what's going on. And I don't mean politically. I don't mean scientifically or medically. What I mean is, you know, you'll take rough day, man, rough day today. I'm, I'm, you know, or, you know, yeah, Hey, listen, I've been in the house for 57 straight days. It sucks. Um, you know, and, and you've got to, you've got to communicate 
that to the audience because if you get on the air and you pretend nothing's wrong, it's a disservice to the show and, and to the audience. If you get on the air and you pretend, you know, that um, the, the, or not that you pretend, but you, you act or you, you communicate that the world is ending, um, this is a three-hour respite from reality. Nobody wants to be bombarded with that. Now, that doesn't mean that you obscure facts. I don't mean opinions. Again, you got to make sure some shows do it. You know, you want to get sure. that political space. I learned a long time. I watch the news as much as anybody. All right. But, and I'll sit down and have a beer and talk politics with anybody off the air. But I, you know, I think that I learned a long time ago and it's helping us now. Tiki's the same way that people don't listen to me to hear about, you know, what do I think? How's president Trump handling this? What do you think of Fauci? You know, what do you think of Chris Cuomo doing a show from his basement for 30 days? Cause he was affected unfortunately by the virus. Um, there's all these different thoughts and theories and there's the left and there's the right. And unfortunately what is in the middle is rarely probed. And that's generally what's probably closer to what's right. But I learned a long time. Nobody cares about that. So I step from me, I stay away from that. You want to hear politics? You're going to tune into Hannity or you're going to, well, you're going to watch, uh, you know, Lemon, or you're going to watch Cuomo. That's where you, that's what you're going to do. You're not going to listen to Tiki and Tierney. It's not a lack of education. It's an understanding. Uh, it's not even fear. It's not, a, it's not a fear of waiting in those waters. It's an understanding that we're a sports show. Know what drives the engine. Deviate from it by all means. Talk about your kids. Talk about music. Talk about, you know, what, talk about billions or talk about Ozark or talk about whatever else you're watching. Of course, you got to have fun. You got to have fun. Yeah. Um, but it's just been a very human show, Ryan. Every day is a little different. And I'm proud of it. I think we've done a really good job. I've heard that from a lot of radio guys, a lot of TV guys, that they think they're doing their best work right now because it's forced them to, instead of relying on just old talking points, they've kind of got to find new space to, to explore. And so that's interesting that you say that because I feel like that a lot of people feel like they're doing their best work when there's actually no sports going on, no sports action going on because they can yep. delve into different topics and, and sort of, as you said, humanize, talk about what's going on with your family, because quite frankly, listeners can relate to that, you know, because we're all stuck at home okay. with our families and, and dealing with all this, yeah. this different stuff. So it's really interesting you brought that up. Um, yeah. how many, uh, and by the way, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be disingenuous if I said, hey, every day is, uh, every day is so easy. It's phenomenal. Right. No, it's not. I mean, my wife and I are teachers, but we're trying to represent or, or replicate the curriculum a bit. It's a challenge. You got a three to five year old running around like nuts. They're, this is not normal. They're supposed to be outside. They're supposed to be in school. Um, so for me to communicate anything other than it's hard. It's yeah, I might have a microphone. I might have a camera. I might have a cool job uh, and, and a platform that I cherish. That's got some, you know, that's got some, some juice. But at the end of the day, you wake up your mom and dad and you're still juggling a ton of things that are not supposed to be juggled in society. You know what I mean? So right now, I mean, obviously not at this moment, but you, you do the uh, CBS pregame show, the other pregame show, that, that other pregame show, I'm sorry. You do St. John's basketball and you do your radio show and now you've got a new role with Discovery. How are you balancing all of that? I mean, that's got to be, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's a blessing because you've got all these opportunities, but at the same time, very busy guy. <laughs> yes. Busy is good, man. Busy is good. Um, the discovery thing, uh, I'd like to think, and I certainly hopeful that there'll be more projects down the road. That that just, I mean, that was how how that came about is completely insane, and you know, it 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 certainly um, man it's versus bear for everybody listening. There's no skill. Yep, yep, man versus bear. It was I'll never forget. I was in the I was in an Uber. Uh, I was going to Newark Airport. Tiki and I were doing our show from. Nashville. We we're supposed to do our show from Las Vegas this year as well for the draft, but this is last year and I'm going out there and I get a, an email. Uh, I'm reading my phone, get an email from my agency and it says, Hey, you know, uh, you know, this, this is short, you know, uh, I don't know, there's this new show on discovery and you know, here's the premise and here's what they're looking for. And descriptively it actually kind of like, you know, looking for a guy unshaven somewhat you know somewhat authentic that can be placed in, in in the wilderness they're like they think you fit i don't even know how they know me at this point but i'm reading this i'm like well okay then i read the last stipulation must be on site uh for five or six weeks in utah in in july right i'm 
like there's there's no way i mean that's that's a done deal I, I, there's no way i can get away i wouldn't ask cbs i wouldn't put that upon tv right. uh, i just can't do it right so in my mind done my agent who's a really good friend too he's called he says listen you gotta you gotta give this a shot dude you have to come on you know when is this going to come back you don't know it might not ever come back so they uh he says just do me a favor before your show tomorrow, they want to FaceTime you. They just want to do 20, 30 minutes. And I said, you know, of course, meet somebody interesting, have a new discussion. All good. Of course, I'm down with that. So I'm getting ready. I'm in my hotel room. I'm guesting. I'm, I'm getting ready to guest on Jim Rome's show in about 20 minutes. Talk about the draft for like, the Jets, Giants, and everybody else. And, and I know, and I'm in the middle of this FaceTime call with Discovery, and I'm seeing the clock. I'm like, oh, I can't leave Rome. I can't leave the hanging. I'm like, oh, I got the FaceTime call goes for an hour, an hour. And it went well. And I, you know, my guy calls me up. He goes, how'd it go? I said, listen, I, I don't know what they're looking for still because um, it's a different space for me. But I know when a conversation's easy, um, when a conversation's good, I felt good. And, you know, we'll see whatever, whatever you know, I'm not going to get the job, but whatever happens, <laughs> happens. Three days later, dude, they want to fly you out to L.A. For, for a chemistry test. Because part of the concept was I'm the host, and then we had like a bear, um, an animal, a behavioral uh, psychologist on site who, who, who was a great dude. His name is Casey Anderson. Guy is outstanding. And I meet him for five seconds. We go into this room, cameras everywhere, like Hollywood. I'm like, this is pretty wild. We do the screen test. Honestly, it felt good. I had to go catch, I was in LA just that day. I had to get back to the airport. And, and I give him a, you know, I go back there, I give him a big handshake, a little half, one of those little bro hugs. I said, listen, dude, I don't know if I'll ever see you again in my life, but if we actually get this, now he was already cast, so he was already in. Yeah. But if we do this together, I don't know, man, that was pretty damn good in there. I'd like to see what you and I can do when we have a scotch or two and we actually get to know each other. Mm -hmm. He's like, me too, bro. Long story short, got the job. And then we had to massage and navigate this, this exit from my normal day-to-day -day world. So there was the family aspect. My wife's got to hold it down, which she did amazingly. And now I've got to convince CBS to let me go. And you know what they did? This is how good CBS is. They set, because shoot days were Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm, I'm off Wednesday and Sundays. Wednesdays, they found the studio in Salt Lake City, which was 40 miles away. They, got, they actually got me a TV studio. So my one day off, I'm driving to do, the sh to, to do Tiki and Tierney. The other five days or six days, I'm basically shooting this show. It was amazing. It, it was a great experience. Um, it's part of the juggle. I would love to do more stuff like that. You know, the basketball stuff, I've been connected with St. John's since Mike Jarvis's last season in 2003. A long um, I stretch. I love St. John's. is one of the things that really, you know, long yeah, but, but not only long stretch, but St. John's, you know, that Mullen Final Four team was something that helped elevate my passion for sport. I mean, I, I, I can't do it justice. Like that team, how that propelled me to love basketball and now to be able to do it is, is pretty amazing. So it, it's different skill sets and the top show, you know, sitting there with London Fletcher, who's a future Hall of Famer sitting there with Amy Trask, who was the first female executive in the history of the NFL. And, and I say this all the time and she deflects it, but it's true. The most brilliant person that I've ever sat next to, she is, she is brilliant. And of course, my guy, Adam Shine, who I love, who's, you know, who's loud and who's happy and who's you know, bombastic and all over the map, but I've known him forever. It's really a fun show. And it's just a continuation of what I do with Tiki and Tierney. It's just, um, you know, it makes for long weeks. And what, what's happening now, usually I get to this point, all right, I could take some days off. I could go mm -hmm. play golf, but I can't go anywhere. So it's like I've never, I haven't had a break, uh, which is fine. But listen, the day that I complain about having jobs is the day that I need to leave, leave the business. You don't yeah, complain I, about it, especially when they're good ones. For sure. I think that we're all kind of at that point where, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work right now, but at the same time, we'd rather be in that position than not. Um, is there anything that you have left as a goal that you want to, that you're looking to attain? I mean, you've, you've accomplished a lot, but is there, is there some, is there a big one out there that you're like, I would love to do this? Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, um, you know, it's funny. I've, I've been asked this question quite a bit and, you know, over the years you do an interview, you, you do get that question a lot. It's, it's a good question, but it's a common question, but it's a complex answer. 
But you know what my answer's always been, Ryan? And, and this is not contrived. This is, this is no BS. I've always said this. You know, and it's not me running from it. You know my style. I'm, I'm certainly not going to – I'm not afraid to tackle something. I'm going to tell you how I feel. But it's pertaining to this question. My stock answer is whatever's next. And the reason I say that, because if you asked me this three years ago, there's no – no way I would have conjured up this imagery of me standing on a mountain in Heber, Utah, with three bears that weigh over a thousand pounds, hosting a show for the Discovery Channel. I, my brain just never would have gone there. Like I would have limited myself. You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know that it's all limited to sports, quite frankly. I love sports, and that's always going to be my main engine. Uh, but I think, you know, whether, what, listen, what I love to, this is going to sound nuts, but I love to be in a movie. Yeah. I'd love to be in a movie. Uh, I'd love to do more stuff with discovery. You know, I would love to come up with, I would like to create something. I would like to create something too. That's, that's something I haven't done. Um, I would like to keep growing the shows and the platforms that I have, you know, from 140 affiliates to, I want to get to 160. I want to get to bigger reaches, wider reaches. I want to, you know, cast the net out there because listen, if you go into the ocean and you have a little tiny bait, you're going to catch a little tiny fish. If you go out there and you're prepared to strap in, put that thing, I don't know if you fish at all, but put that pole, you know, put it up against the belt and, 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 and strap yourself into the seat and get ready to fight for an hour and possibly pull up something that's a couple of hundred pounds, then that's the joy. That's, that's, you know, it's also the struggle, but it's the unknown and, and it keeps you inspired. So I wish I had more of a direct answer for you. You know, what's next? I don't know. Um, but I hope, I hope that it's inspiring. I hope that it's interesting and I hope that I'm good at it. Well, I, I just want to, th first of all, that was a great answer to end on. I think I, I thank you so much for coming on, Brandon. This was a great interview. We have to have you back because there's way more about your career that I want to, I want to go into and hear about. And, uh, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a ton of great stories in there just based on what we got today. So I would love to have you back. Um, but I think that's a great place to end. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. This was the Press Pass Podcast with Brandon Tierney. Check him out, CBS Radio, Tiki and Tierney, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern weekdays, and then all of his other jobs that we discussed, uh, that other pregame show, CBS uh, NFL show every Sunday. And uh, he's a, does St. John's basketball, Discovery Channel, Man vs. Bear, probably some more opportunities there, we hope. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on. Really appreciate it, and we'll definitely have to have you back. This was awesome.